well, what was it that you wanted to talk about? Well, I was um, I was thinking about workflow stuff. Workflow. Workflow. Yes. Sure. Um, so I've done it. Yeah. Well, we've all done it. We've all been part of a workflow in one way or another. I would imagine. Um, well, it's funny. Being... I met. A, I met. A, I hung out with a woman recently who is a very much a film photographer. Yeah. Buy, just bought a Mac Pro that she's waiting to get delivered, and uh, and she doesn't own any digital cameras, so like all of that raw, all that crap is all new to her. And nice. uh, you know, and I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go over and help her get things started. But it, and she was gonna go into one of those crazy classes where you can do like the crazy workflow systems that these people have devised. Sure. And I said, I said, you don't want to do that. I said, don't spend $2,000 doing that. Like, hey, give me $2,000 and I'll... <laughs> well, you know what it is, is because it's a very personal thing. What works for one person might not work at all for another. Absolutely. You know? Which, uh, is, which is kind of the reason that that's one of the things I wanted to do today was... Sure. Um, you, you recently um, bought some new hard drives. I did. And we were talking about that. And uh, as, as you know, uh, the company that I work for... Uh, has a, a considerably large number uh, of hard drives uh, under the roof, so to speak. And uh, I just I thought it might be interesting to sort of compare um, workflows between how you, the sort of one man operation, uh, sure. works versus how a multi person operation uh, yeah. works. Now you you have implied to me, and I don't mean to you know step on talk out of turn or out of favor here but you have implied that some of the stuff they do at your work is seems a little roundabout for oh what they're doing absolutely um i had nothing to do with of course uh, not yeah, yeah with the design uh of that workflow do you and really honestly, think it's been like piece on top of piece on top of piece and that's the problem that it's not a holistic thing there well I, in, my, in my in my case in that case it's a combination of things um first of all the the company has been in business doing this sort of thing for a pretty long time um and so they sort of committed to a certain uh folder structure you know naming convention yeah. uh hi- hierarchies that that sort of thing and file just a general filing practice of of how how things are copied, where they're copied, when they're copied, how many times they're copied those sorts of things how are they all kept? that st- are they, are they, is it all organized by photographer um yeah, uh, the way the way we do it is is basically um, each uh, each photographer has a sort of little you know a a, un- a unique name for themselves. Um, so there's the and, which is a three character name. Um, so is it for example, initials you, or first three yeah, digits. It's of something, the last it's something, name, something like, like that. that. So just for argument's sake, let's say you would be B I L. Even though yep. that's not what it would be, but so so we do first first three initials for the photographer name, and then we drop an underscore in there, and then we will drop the date using the year first um, format. So in this case, today's so date would be one zero zero eight three zero exactly. Yeah. Um, and then another underscore with whatever the job name is. So if you're shooting for People magazine, it would be underscore People. Or People Mag or People Magazine or whatever. Sure. Um, and so that that becomes the folder, um, and then within the folder live all the various subfolders and supporting documentation and any of that other crap. Um, and that's that's basically how it works. 
Um, now, here's the thing that's really interesting or really frustrating, depending on how you look at it. Um, because the company is is split into two main locations, uh, one is overseas in Europe, and the other one is here in New York City. Um, and the, the you know the home base, if you will, the the the, the, the original company was started in in Europe. So um, there are some interesting differences in the way things are done over there versus over here. Um, part of them have to do with you know they the, do everything the per- in French. <laughs> well, not just French, uh, Fr- French and Italian, and, and sometimes a couple other languages too. Okay, um, but that's not what I was going to say. Uh, they have a different infrastructure, a different back end. Uh, I'm nearly certain. I haven't heard this for sure, but I'm nearly certain they have implemented and are using uh, an OPI system, an old school OPI system called uh, Full Press, which is. Um, this uh, it's it's just really fancy sh- uh, schmancy system that does, you know, uh, um, well, okay, I might as well talk about it since it's interesting. Uh, OPI is this old school uh, acronym. It stands for Open Prepress Interface. In the old days, back before large hard drives and fast networks, um, sending images from one computer to another for you know editing or or layout reasons, or even for printing, um, that was that was a pretty serious concern. You know, it was going to take a while. It's like, oh well, we have this this hundred megabyte TIFF that we need to lay out in our cork file, um, or or whatever, or what was it, uh, uh, Aldous PageMaker, um, and then you know once it's laid out, then we need to then we need to you know render it out into a RIP you know file, and then that needs to be printed, and and so that roundabout operation times dozens or hundreds of uh of images or thousands of megabytes could uh could really slow things down so some smart guys figured out this nifty technique for essentially tricking the the software into thinking that it was using high-res images when in fact it was using low-res images and the end result was essentially a huge savings in bandwidth right so and for this example, what happened is, let's, so let's say you have your, you have your high-res image, right? Your 100 megabyte TIFF, and you want to place it in your, in your Quark document. So what would happen is, using an OPI system, uh, the 100 megabyte TIFF lives on the file server, um, but the file server, rather than just sh- having a single dedicated SharePoint, you know, like images, the images volume or whatever it's called, there are actually multiple images volumes. And this is where it gets tricky. Uh, the OPI software, the software that's that's doing all the hard work, maintains multiple versions of each file and effectively each directory, each volume on that server, and the volumes are tagged with whatever their characteristics are. So, for example, let's say you have a full size, hundred percent one to one version. So there's the you know there's the the print version. Then you have a medium size one, which is like. Um, which would be like a, a 50% TIFF, which, you know, if you just want to look at it really quickly. And then you'll have the super low-res version, which would be like uh, a JPEG um, uh, or a PDF or something like that. Uh, and, and, what, and what happened, and the way you access those files is by choosing which volume to mount when you authenticate to the server. In the old yeah. days, if you remember in the Mac OS 9 days, you'd pop open the chooser and then you'd... Mm-hmm. you'd You'd log into your server, and then you'd be presented with three choices of the same volume. So you'd have images, and then in parentheses, T, 
TIFF, and then images, and then parentheses, 50%, and then images, 50, and then in parentheses, JPEG. And whichever right. one you mounted, you would just see the word image, you, you know, the volume that you mounted would be the images volume, but, right. uh, and everything would be the same. The paths would be the same. All of the files would live in the same folders, so you, all of so the hi- hierarchies the high-res, and everything. you connect to the high-res. If you don't need the high-res, you connect to the whatever, and the software doesn't know the right. difference. Exactly. So what you're doing is you're essentially tricking Quark into thinking that it, it's talking to the so to the just only one person server. The big one is the person who's actually rendering it out to the rip. Exactly. So what would happen is the the layout artist would just use the FPO the for you know for position only SharePoint, which has the low res version. They'd be able and that was basically just a, a super low res TIFF or JPEG. They'd be able to position the file, you know, position the image and whatever, get it right where they wanted it in the layout without having to wait for the thing to be transferred constantly back and forth. And, th- and they could even print out low-res versions of the file for, for proofing and for copy, you know, editing and what have you. And then when it was ready to be ripped and sent, sent to the press, they would, send, they would just send, tell the, the, you know, either they would unmount the low-res version and mount up the high-res version and then rip that using all of the image data. Still uh, to this day, I mean, InDesign by default doesn't show you a, a high-res image inside which is actually pretty interesting, just for display performance purposes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you remember, uh, 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 what's it called? EPS files, encapsulated postscript files. Um, They, whenever you place an EPS file in a page layout program or you open one up in Photoshop, you're not actually touching the data. You're actually just, you're just seeing a preview image that was rendered by whatever EPS engine, you, you know, you had. Right. Um, it always annoys that was, me, though, when people put images inside of EPSs, which is basically just uh, a container for a TIFF. It's I like, know. just send me a TIFF. Yeah, Don't it's really frustrating. Encapsulate. Like, ugh. There's you only know, one reason. The, well, the only reason you used to do that was for clipping paths. And that was before the, you know, the invention right. of, you know, more satisfactory, well, more smart, <laughs> smarter TIFFs and smarter software that can interpret clipping paths yes. on things other than EPS files. But it's a lot of a lot, you know, a lot of that stuff, especially when it was before people started actually. The people who were doing the using the computers went from paper mockups and cutouts and, and photo mechanical photography. Yeah, <laughs> who went from all that to the digital stuff. It's almost just like they didn't re- they they got it working, but they didn't really know how to work it right. Does that make sense? You know, yeah, well, like, they I think didn't it know why sense. they did things, and it really—it's that kind of stuff drove me nuts. As like a kid, well, like it may, talking it, to these but people. But it makes sense though, because you have to understand these people had a, an established system with you know with a whole with nomenclature, you know, like words sure. for things and terms and practices and all this stuff, and they needed to make it you know just like right. we have our our common desktop and our files yeah. and no, our sure. folder but it, icons. What I find funny about it is that. If you were talking to them and trying to say there's better ways to do this, they'd be like, no, no, no. no we this do is the this way we know. for very yeah. good reasons. And it's like, no, you're actually not doing it for good reasons It's not at a all. good reason. It's just because you're chicken. Come on. Yeah, exactly. You know. No, I know. You're um, right. Yeah, right. it, it was essentially So, so you like think the analogy. people in Paris use one of these kinds of systems? Well, yeah. So, so we have a, a, one of these systems. And one of the really cool things about it, if you can imagine this. So let's say you come back from a shoot. You've got, uh, you've got your high-res stuff all all processed out right so you, you've you've taken your raw files you've rendered yep. them down into your tiffs and then you've rendered down your jpegs don't get me started on want. tiffs versus jpegs what's that don't get me started on tiffs versus jpegs ah okay well I we'll get into that to. later fair <laughs> go enough. ahead um and then imagine if you could just upload that 
folder, that job folder, to the server, and then the server automatically, in the background, while you're uploading it, takes care of all of the converting. Yeah. So, and on top of that, is able to create a job-based web page for your client to log into e-commerce style. You, you can basically send them, send them an email. Exactly. And then they can, they can basically browse the entire shoot um, and then annotate, select, deselect, remove, what, whatever the hell you want. Basically, they can make a little shopping basket. And here's what's really cool. They can submit that little shopping cart of their images, hit, hit a button, and then that email goes to the pre-designed, uh, predetermined, if you want, retoucher, Who's going to be working on that job? And then they can actually get an email saying, okay, the client's picked out these four images. Go go at it. And then, sure. you, and then it, that immediately creates this neat little closed loop so that if that – and you can even set it if you want so that when that retoucher is done, he can re-log in, submit his changes, and then the client can get an email saying, hey, he fixed your changes. Sure. What do you think? Uh, and that's, right. that's kind of cool. Um, unfortunately, we don't have that sort of a system here in the New York office. However, as as I understand it, and, and understand, please bear in mind, I'm not really um, that involved with this aspect of the of the business, so I might not be a hundred percent accurate. Uh, there might be some things I've left out or I've misunderstood. But anyway, as I understand it, um, what we actually do in order to sort of compensate for the fact that we don't have such a system here, we actually take the time and upload every single job to our powers server to the server overseas um which is is kind of uh it's kind of a lot of data um yeah you think to the point where we actually put in place a a dedicated peer-to-peer uh network you know dedicated internet connection over fiber over the ocean just to just to speed that shit up and how Um, fast is that i mean like it's a t3 basically it's 40 40 megabits and change uh, which isn't bad. I mean, you can you can move some you can move some data over there, and you know as long as you have someone who's who's keeping on top of it, as long as the you know you don't let the jobs pile up and you save it so that you have fifty gigs at the end of the week to to do all at once, you know, right. ten gigs here, twenty gigs there, forty gigs there, you know, you, you let just let it cook overnight and it's no big deal. Which almost made me forget that I'm uploading eight and a half gigs worth of stuff as we speak. To where? To Jungle Disk. Jungle Disk. Yeah, well, I'll get that. I'll get into that. Is that one of those S three things? It is one of those S three things. All right. Well, cool. So anyway, uh, since we're, we're talking about the way we do it here at work, um, yep. so yeah, so the way I'll, I'll break it down really simple, um, just just from top to bottom. So uh, the photographer goes out with the digital tech. The digital tech is equipped with the computer or computers uh, and a backup hard drive, which is usually just a little you know two and a half inch firewire drive. And uh, the shoot transpires, decisions are made, pictures are created, et cetera, et cetera. And it is the tech's responsibility to copy all of the stuff from the computer that was, you know, that, uh, that did all the shooting to the backup drive. Uh, then when the, mach- when, the, when the job is returned, when everything comes back to the office, I basically just put the computers up on the shelf. I, don't, I tend not to remove anything from a computer until... Um, we're either out of space or there's a, you know, a, you know, security thing or, uh, or cleanly, or if I need to reimage or whatever, but I, I, I generally, I generally leave the stuff on there until the last possible minute, just in case, just to have a third or fourth backup, you know, cause you never know. Sure. Um, but then, you know, the, the, the drive that is, 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 uh, has all that stuff copied to it is then handed to a, 
uh, our archivist, a separate person who's basically whose job it is to uh, to manage this stuff. Uh, and then she is in charge of filing all that stuff and making sure all of the that you know the folders are proper and the names are proper and and we we maintain a little PDF uh, called an operator sheet, which just has notes pertaining to the job and as far as you know what profiles were used and settings in the you know in Capture One or whatever. Um, what do they you know, make all the that PDF stuff is, in? What's that? What do you make the PDF in? I think it's just, it's actually, it's a, it's a customized Acrobat form, you know, like, like a form that you oh, open up in okay. Acrobat yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you can pre-fill sure. it in just by typing, um, which is kind of nice. Uh, I've never really had to mess with it. So, um, but then, and then once it's put up on the server, she, I think she actually keeps local copies on portable raids, you know, four or five drive raids. Yep. on her desk, and then I think she also makes an additional copy on our file server so that the retouchers can get at it. And I think at the end of the day, she then uploads the job to the Paris office. So there are, you know, multiple copies of it in sure. at any given point in time. And then as, as the job ages, um, it, it, the first place it disappears from, I believe, is her hard drive, followed very shortly by the file server, um, and then eventually, as as we recycle the you know the backup hard drives, I think it, it disappears from them, and then it'll disappear from the fo- you know the workstation that goes out on the job, and ultimately it'll just live in Paris, and then on the raid, uh, either in her desk or in our one of our safes or you know somewhere secure. Right. So at the end of the day, it really only exists in in two places, um, but they're both relatively secure. Actually, and you know I take it back. Once it's in Paris. It's getting backed up somehow, so it's you know it's in multiple places over there too. Yeah. So that's that's the long and the short of it. It's funny. There's like there's no real right reason or right answer to any of this stuff. I mean, other no, than no, it's having totally... it on a bunch of places and whatever. Like no one has the definitive way of doing this. I mean, it's you different know? for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, right off, I don't keep every single image I take. Some people shoot, they'll go out and shoot for a day and shoot 300 pictures and they come home and all 300 of those are there forever. I am not one of those people. Um, Mm -hmm. If I go shoot, if I took pictures of you, I come home, I do a first cut and then sometimes right then and there, I'm like, well, you know, I don't need the stuff. The stuff that didn't make first cut, I'm never going to use. Why keep it? I'll just delete everything at zero stars, you know, and go from there. Right. Um, so if you add all that up, my total collection of images, which is, let's see, about 30,000 right now. When you say images, what do you mean? Like picture files on your computer? Yeah. Okay. I have about 30,000 images. I'm just looking at the numbers here. Oh, okay. Um, so my total output as a photographer could fit on a two terabyte drive um so what i do is i come home with my compact flashcards. i dump them onto my computer as and i have them converted to dng and renamed i do a similar naming system to you guys in that it's it's usually subject underscore date the way you guys do it underscore file number you know mm. um but, you know, it's funny because, you know, I was thinking about this. Digital photography nowadays, 
makes a lot of the stuff that we do less necessary. In that, I mean, there is a lot of metadata in these files mm. that for us like, to be organizing things by date is right. a little silly. silly. Yeah, it's just like that is what a computer is for, is to say, give me all the pictures from October 20th, you know. Yeah, what's even um, more frustrating is like is like something stupid, like I don't know if, if Windows is like this, but uh, on a Macintosh, um, the Finder uh, has some really frustrating side effects. Sometimes you can, I swear to God, sometimes just by using the quick look function or just by disc, you know, hitting the little disclosure triangle just to, to, to take a peek at what's inside of a, of a folder, yeah. sometimes the finder will treat that as, as a, a modification. Modify? Yeah, oh, that's and annoying. it'll fucking, right? It's super annoying. And then it'll, it'll suddenly jump to the top of the list. And because of, and that's, that's not news, man. I, I mean, it's, it's been like that for a while. And that's pretty uncool, actually. Yeah, it's it's really frustrating. I mean, sometimes it's legit. Like sometimes if you and and here's the other thing, it's not consistent. Sometimes you can delete something from a folder, and you think, oh, okay, cool, I deleted something from that folder. You modified, I modified that folder, that folder yeah. and that folder's not changing a fucking thing. And I can rename a folder, and it won't 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 count as a modify. Yeah. But I'll just I'll take a look at what's inside it. Oh, that's a modify. Sure. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really fucking frustrating. Well, so, you know, because of, fr- yeah, well, that? that kind of stuff's really frustrating. But yeah, you know, so it's, but it's funny. There, yeah, naming the folders. A, is is why is how I combat that. My my naming convention, not to cut you off, uh, is, yeah. is I put I put the dates first. So I'll I'll start every any time I import a job into Lightroom or whatever. Um, sure. I, I I start it out with with the date, and then I and then I'll do the, the the description afterwards, and that's it. Most of the time, I put the date in there, if only to separate, you know, Heather Conrad, one o five from any other Heather Conrad one o five. You know what I mean? So mm. on my hard drive. Th- there is a people's folder. There's a places, events, client shoots, projects, you know. So inside so you, of people... You, you we'll, call those like collections or libraries or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. They're, top they're, level. Yeah, exactly. My top level things are sort of, what is this? Is this a person? Is it, you right. know, Am I doing a portrait? Was it a trip that I took? You know, that kind right. of thing. Right, right. Um, so then, you know, in, inside of... Inside of people will be, you know, my friend Brie Walsh. It will have a Brie Walsh folder. And inside of that is, you know, six different shoots with different date names, you know, folder names of the date. Um, Right. And then images inside of those. Um, It makes it easy to get to stuff and it keeps things really nice and clean. Um, Although sometimes I think like, am I over, is it, is it over, you know, rot, you know, um, so anyway, I, I I had my stuff all on these one and a half terabyte Seagate drives for a while. And I had a RAID 1 array inside my machine. So I'd copy stuff onto this RAID 1 array. RAID 1 is, uh, is uh, what now for, for is, our is casual duplication. Okay, so it means you take two hard drives, basically, and the computer sees them as one hard drive, and it writes and reads the same thing to both of them. So right. if one so of they, them crashes so you, you basically dies, see one you see one volume on your desktop and in fact it's actually two physical There's discs. actually two physical disks in there with the same thing on them bit for bit. Got it. Identical. Um, the idea is that if one of them has a mechanical failure the other one is there to pick up the slack and you can actually just replace the dead one and it'll fix it copy everything from the good one to the new one and you're back up and running. The and this, problem this is, with this is done in hardware, right? You have a hardware. This is card done in hardware. It? Yeah, Intel right. uh, chipset on the motherboard does this. Nice. Um, the the problem with it are a number two, like threefold. Number one, mm. RAID one is not backup because no. if it 
if I write the wrong thing to the disk, it's going to write it to both disks, and you're screwed. You know? No, RAID, RAID 1 is fault tolerance. Exactly. But it's handy from a, if while I'm working, one of my hard drives crashes kind of point of view. Um, mm-hmm. The bad side of it is that if your computer crashes for some reason, if your power goes out or something, we- if anything weird happens mm-hmm. on your machine, um, sometimes your RAID can get scared and it wants to rebuild. Mm-hmm. Basically, it just wants to compare these two drives. But, pe- right. but comparing two one and a half terabyte drives bit for bit takes it's time. Time consuming. Yeah, yeah, it takes like eight hours. So you know, yeah, you know, there's there's a power surge in your computer reboots, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh, better check yeah. the data. Be back in be- eight hours. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and you can use it while it's doing it, but it's slower. You know, you know what I mean. No, of course. So and, is, can you imagine in the old days, man? Not to not to interrupt. Yeah. But but, but there there are tons of apps out there. I know there are are some on the Windows side, but there's at least two or three um, apps, including Apple's own disk utility software, uh, that offer RAID functionality. Yep. But they do it in software, and that yep. takes even longer and is even more finicky than the hardware yeah. version. At least hardware raids have the benefit of, of minding their own business and not not having to deal with OS overhead or any yep. of that other crap. Absolutely. But, yeah, I mean, oh my god. You, I, can, do, I, you can do yeah, software, software raid inside of Windows too, but not that many people do it, you know? No, well, um, it's, it's, it sucks. I, wouldn't, yeah. I don't blame them. So I had all of my images, but I started running out of space. I, I have probably about I don't know, let's say 1.6 or 1.7 terabytes of data, really. Um mm-hmm. However, a lot of it is client shoots that I did two years ago, stuff that I don't really need online all the time, you know? Right. Although I like the idea that I can access all of my stuff all the time. Like, I like the idea of not separating all my stuff out. Um, Sure. So when I was running low on space and didn't want to buy new hard drives yet, I had two older one terabyte drives, which I had replaced with the one and a halves a while back. And I took those two drives, and those are now cold storage. <laughs> so, okay. let's say I took pictures of you two years ago, and I know I don't need them at any point right away. I will copy you to both of those drives, and they go in my little box down underneath, my little Pelican case. Mm. Um, so, so, wait, those two, you're saying those two drives are, um, you, you, you copy them individually one at a time? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I make sure that, you know, the same thing is on both of them. And they're actually two different one terabyte drives from different manufacturers. So it's, you know, it, theoretically, if I was really g- crazy anal, I would put it on three different drives, you know. Well, you, uh, well the other thing is you'd, you'd also move, you'd separate them physically. Yes, I know. I know. But like, well, I'm going to get to that. Mm-hmm. So when I put my new drives in, I decided not to do a RAID 1. Um, mm-hmm. Because of the reasons I just said, and because, you know what, like, I don't really need fault tolerance. I just need to do backups. Right. So, and if I put these new two terabyte drives in, and they're already two-thirds full. Right. You know, they're already half the speed they would be if they were empty. You know, because hard drives slow down over time. You know, as you fill them up. Yes. So, what I've decided to do was split up my data so that I have, like, you know... Five or six hundred gigs on one drive, five or hundred, five or six hundred gigs on the other drive, and 
those are my two drives in my machine. And then at the end of the day, I have my old one and a half terabyte drives that mm -hmm. I click in and I run a sort of replicator, sort of super duper-ish kind of thing to mm -hmm. sort of make those identical to the internal drives. Hmm. So at the end of the day, basically, I back up what's on in my internal drives to this other set. Yeah, but you're going to run out of space at some point, right? Because the X, these one, one and a half yes. terabyte drives are not are as big as the two terabyte drives inside. Yeah, but right now there's only like 600 gigs on each of them, so I have a long way to go. Okay. You know Fair what enough. I mean? And then I guess, and then ideally, those two terabyte drives will rotate into the one and a half terabyte drive rolls, and you'll replace them exactly. with four terabyte drives yeah. or whatever. Which is what I've been doing. I mean, I started with 500s, then I went to one terabyte, one and a half, two terabyte now. The problem is, mm -hmm. is that, like, you know. Once you go above two terabytes, things start getting interesting from a hardware point of view, which I won't get into, at least on Windows. Actually, on yeah, old Windows, not on new Windows, but on old Windows it did. I can imagine. Um, uh, but anyway, but the other thing that I do is that when I'm done with pictures at the end of the day, um, I export a – like if I take pictures of you, I edit them in Photoshop, do my whole thing to make them look like my pictures – um, retouched finals. I then export that PDF out as a full res JPEG at like 85%. Uh -huh. 100% size, 85% quality, you know, like an 85 out of 100. Right. Um, and then I stick that in a folder that gets uploaded to S3. The JPEG does. The JPEG does. Which okay. is fine for, you know, anything that comes down to my house burns down. If right. I have full res jpeg sitting in a folder up thing i have everything you know what i mean okay That's great enough. I, lo yeah, I mean i lose yeah. my 16 bit layered files but like how often am i going back to those anyway you know no it's true um, i mean and ultimately um you know you you i would imagine going back to some some earlier conversations those are like your receipts you know it's like you've already done that work you've been already paid for it it's already been yes. printed but if you need to refer to it, if you need to show someone, yeah. say like, "Oh yeah, you really did that," or "That's one of yours," or show me, show me this one weird old shot of yours. It's like, yeah, let me let me pull it up for you, and I'll show you. What I'm yeah, talking about. and you know what? It's actually handy too if I'm away. Like I was um, up in Connecticut at my mother's house, and you know, some magazine wrote me, "Hey, can we use that picture of Malcolm Gladwell?" Like, yeah, I can access my S3 jungle disk drive from my mom's Mac. Right. And pull the picture down and send it to him, you know. So it's nice because totally. I always have access to sort of final versions of everything I do. Um, right. And, the, and you know what? JPEGs are fine. I was just going <laughs> to say, so you're saying, when you say final versions, you, you submit JPEGs to, uh, to publications Most magazines for final? want JPEGs. Huh. I didn't know that. It's funny because um, the smaller the magazine, the more likely they are to want TIFF. And the bigger <laughs> the magazine, the less they care. You know? That makes sense to me. That actually Time magazine is fine with a JPEG. You know, the improper Bostonian wants TIFFs. Which There's a is magazine really... called the Improper Bostonian. Yeah, so like sort of like sort of like Village Voicey kind of you know New York magaziney kind of thing for Boston. The Improper Bostonian. Yes, is a Boston how, magazine. How long been has that been around? For, oh, years. Like, how many years? A long time. It was there when I was there too. Oh, wow. uh, I've just never heard of it, and it's a weird-sounding name. It sounds like a spoof. Uh, yeah. Well, okay, so the point of all this is to say that it's more than enough space. I mean, you know, more than enough data. You don't really... TIFFs are great, and I have no problems with TIFFs because they're, you know, uncompressed quality-wise. But I've taken 85% JPEGs and an uncompressed TIFF 
stacked them on top of each other in Photoshop and did a difference layer style, you know, mm-hmm. and it's black. There is like the differences are so minute that if you took those two images and printed them, you would you would the photographer would never notice. You have to go down to like a the thing about tiffs is that they're better if you're editing them any further or if you really need 16 bit for some reason because you're working on some HDR thing that's intermediate no, exactly. stage or whatever it is. But a lot of people like really look down on high quality JPEGs. But you know what? High quality JPEG is fine. For, it's true. You know, all of the pictures from my Drabble show, I sent high-quality JPEGs to the printer, you know? They look yeah, great. No, 20 I mean, by 30 you inches. Can, you can make the same argument for, for audio, man. I mean, yeah. a really, yeah. really well-encoded, like a 320-kilobit encoded MP3 is going to sound pretty goddamn good, you know? It Especially good, if it's yes. being broadcast somewhere, if it's, if it's going over any kind of, Well, you know, I mean, that, that's exactly the thing, is that, like, you know, I'm an audiophile dork, so, yeah, you know, do I think that uncompressed stuff sounds better? Yes, it does to me, but, but, but somehow images, because they're getting printed, and very rarely is anything ever getting printed at full size, you know? Even your 12 True. megapixel camera, how often do you actually print it 20 by... 16 or whatever the hell the real you know like the actual size is even for that camera you know How pretty rare do i actually print dude <laughs> yeah well there, there you go all. right you know so you're <laughs> you're always down which is the whole thing with even with all of the clients at, at, at your work is like okay yeah. yeah they're taking these tiffs to like make these magazine ads but you know what at some point in the chain it probably gets turned into a jpeg anyway <laughs> you know what i mean like well, I, somewhere I in the know. process of the magazine i mean in, in the high fashion world it's it is a little bit different because I mean, some of the shit ends up like on the sides of buildings. No, <laughs> I mean, billboards and that kind of stuff. Really I totally big. understand that, but like, but yeah. you know, but even then, as long as it's that resolution, even if it is a JPEG, I think the problem is that I think this is a very much a thing where people are stuck the way they did things twenty years ago, and they yeah. see JPEGs as what people use online, and don't really realize that the compression is actually pretty good, especially no, with a high true. quality encoder and whatever. Anyway, no, it's true. So, if my house burns down, I have this arc, which is what I call it. Arc, you know, yeah. I save like my co- stuff like in the ark. Like a cosmic arc, like the ark of the covenant kind of thing, you know. Oh like, no, like, I thought you were talking like about Noah's, like ark. Noah's ark. Wait, those yeah, are like, two different kinds of arcs. It's true. I'll say Noah's. I was ark. thinking, cos- remember the cosmic arc game for the twenty six hundred? I don't think I played that they one. Were, oh man, they have to get all the people sweet. in the spaceship kind of thing. Well, yeah, exactly. You were this. Um, you you were the spaceship, and you basically had to. I think each level was, you know, you had to go to a different world and then essentially beam up. You had to save the the critters without getting shot at or saving the wrong thing. I I don't know. I just yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. it was very, it was very color, colorful. It was a it was a shitty game. I didn't. I mean, you know, it's like fuck that. I'm not gonna play Cosmic Arc. Give me combat. Give me Pac Man. Yeah. yeah. But every but you always everybody always had Cosmic Arc. You know, it was like I always like oh it's, it's in there. I never had that one. Uh, let me look it anyway up. so so yeah i put everything in the noah's ark which gets uploaded via jungle disk to an s3 server um my monthly cost for that is approximately two dollars that's pretty reasonable yeah for the peace of mind of knowing that all my shit's up there the only weird thing is that every time i reinstall rebuild my computer replace something put new you know whatever in uh yeah and reinstall windows it's like somehow, even though I'm connecting to the same named folder 
and it's the same drive. Somehow it sees it as a new computer and it wants to upload all eight and a half gigs again, as opposed to just right. sort of starting off where it left off, you know? Yeah. You know what software really, really fucking rocks at that is, uh, is Dropbox. I know, but the problem is that Dropbox is like, what, $10 a month for 20 gigs? Which oh, I is like. What, I mean, I'm not talking about the, the cost. I'm talking just about the technology. I'm just saying, oh, like, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. been really, really impressed with the way Dropbox is able to manage. Well, then, yeah, no, and, uh, and if I change, if I change like three, full, three files, it'll find those three files and it'll upload them normally. But when I first right. rebuild my machine and install Jungle Disk, for some reason it doesn't get that I'm on the same computer. You know what I mean? Mm. It mm-hmm. thinks that it's a whole new thing and it needs to start from scratch. Like yeah, that even though it's like called a... Arc and they're all the same files, these are different set of files and so I need to start over. Um, yeah, it's kind of annoying. So that's why I'm uploading all this stuff. But mm. that's basically my workflow. So it's on – at the end of the day, it's on two hard drives and the finals are on line as well as on my hard drive. Um, and I don't delete my cards until I need to. So mm-hmm. – it's on CF cards too, you know. Right, um, and then you you delete them, or you format those before you go out on another shoot. Yes, yeah, nice. Yeah. And I rarely bring a laptop with me unless it's like some real high profile thing that I actually, you know. You want a proof on set with bigger, so you see it bigger. Yeah, kind of thing. you know, every once in a while, there's an art director, or a photo editor who's just like you know wants to look at stuff. Sure. Um, well, you don't. And you also you you shoot to cards. You don't shoot tethered. Exactly. Yeah. Most of the time, I shoot. Uh, to cards although i've been shooting yeah. tethered for the motion stuff um nice m- mostly just so i can turn the laptop around so the dancers can see right, themselves right. uh it's kind of fun you, sh- you know what else is kind of neat for that kind of stuff um i i haven't had the need or or, or cause for this yet but i've done a, a bit of research on it and uh, i think it's really cool in fact there's some photographer out there who's built this whole little system on it now um basically uh, you know how digital cameras are basically just video cameras. Yep. Um, and even in the early days of point and shoots, they all have little NTSC video outputs on them. Yep. Um, at the, the very least, and on the newer machines, or, or cameras, I guess. Exactly. HDMI outputs, which can easily be converted to a component or composite yep. signal. Um, so what that means is essentially you can plug your camera into a big into a bigger screen. Um, yep. either a full size, like 27 inch, you know, flat panel display or, or in this guy's mm-hmm. case with this. So what this guy did is he basically found these little, I think there's seven, maybe 10 inch displays, like relatively nice, high, high resolution LCD displays. I think they're designed to, like the, the kinds that are put into the, the backs of headrests in minivans sure. for kids to watch movies on. Um, like that's, that's the, 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 the style we're talking here. And he was able to. I, I'm, I'm sure he just found some relatively inexpensive wireless video, tra- like the X10. You remember the wireless yeah, video sure. security crap? He, I think he has a, basically like a little wireless, super low-tech wireless um, transmitter and receiver kit, which he builds into, he, he kind of built a little enclosure for. So he, he essentially put together this really slick little wireless monitor. So what will happen is he plugs this little wireless monitor into his camera, and then... Instantly, whatever it replicates, whatever would appear on the camera's LCD, sure, and then it transmits it to the big LCD, the you know the client LCD, if you will, which can be st- you know stashed somewhere out of sight, or it can be held in the art director's hand, or in your case, it could be put in a place where the talent can actually see 
yep. what's going on so you can direct them more effectively. Yeah, I thought that was pretty pretty cool. No, it is slick, and that's almost exa- that's almost what I do, you know. Except I, I yeah. have Lightroom show the previews, right? Um, which actually works well too. Uh, yeah, you know, it's well, like I mean, it's 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 handy shooting tethered. It's just you know, I mean, I've shot some big stuff tethered, and it's fun, but like, it's it's what's weird is that if you're using any of these new systems that are USB based. It, right. The the old MacBook Pros, like the pre unibody ones, right? Uh, had ter- like their USB was so slow, like it was, mm. you know what I mean? And it's yeah. what's funny. It was it's actually what it is is the OS ten drivers because you install Windows yeah. on the same box and it's the USB it's is fine. fine. Yeah, it, it's not the it's not the hardware man. Mac Mac OS unfortunately has a really awful history with usb and i think it has it actually you could probably trace it back to the old usb versus firewire wars right. when they firewire to, first it's came almost out. as if they wanted to slow down usb to make firewire look better I'm, but now that they're I mean, using yeah. usb they really Sad. should work on that and make that you know um, <laughs> well hopefully yeah the next gen of usb you oh know, that, I guess that USB might be something 3. interesting to say too as far as a card reader goes i use these things what the hell is that usb this is a crappy USB card reader, and they're like ten bucks a piece. Actually, they're like nine bucks a piece, and I buy them like three, four at a time. Why? And because it's UDMA, this thing downloads at twenty megs a second. It's fast, okay. um, and they're cheap. And I can have like two of them in each of my bags. And if I ever lose them, it's no big deal, and they break and whatever it is. They're like these crappy Chinese. No, ones. yeah, it looks like a little hockey puck. Yeah. Um, and they are we, awesome because they're fast and they're like, you know, they hold up well. Yeah. And if they break, I don't care because they're, you know, eight bucks. The one, no, you know, because nice. you get a Lexar one and those things are like 80 bucks for the good ones. Yeah, we don't, you know? we use the SanDisk. Um, I have one of these myself. Um, maybe I can show it to you if it's sitting here. With the little cable? Uh, yeah. The sit no, the SanDisk, um, this little silver one. Oh, yeah. Which, which is a Firewire 800. Uh, the only downside to it, really, I mean, it's wicked fast. I think this thing actually tops out at like 60 megs a second, which is right, pretty but sweet. Your cards need to be um, 60 megasecond cards. Well, I happen to have a 60 megasecond card right here. You In do? fact, I have. Which one? I do. This one. Oh, look at that. Yeah. So if you have the if you have a fast card and you have uh, I have a just just for the, the people who aren't watching here, this is a Sandisk Extreme compact flash card. It's the 60 megabyte a second UDMI. Uh, UDMA card from SanDisk. I um, use the uh, Extreme Threes. Yeah, yeah. I have. We have. I've, I've had great luck with Extreme Threes. I have an Extreme Four. Um, it's never never caused me any trouble. But uh, what I was gonna say, I forgot what I was gonna say. Um, what the hell were we just talking about? We were talking about the card reader. Yeah, I don't know. maybe that was it. I don't know. Oh, I was going to say there's cost? there's something that's like this is like fifty bucks. The yeah. one thing that sucks about these things is it only has the one FireWire port on the back, and you'd think that's that's no big deal, right? But here's the problem: the current iteration of all of Mac, uh, all of the MacBook Pros only, only have one, one fucking FireWire port on them. And if you want to, like, let's say you want to be importing images and you know have an external hard drive plugged in or something like that. You can't do it unless you have a. You, who's going to carry around a fucking FireWire hub? That's a waste. I uh, had a really, some, really nice uh, card bus one once that was really fast. Yeah, that those one. are cool. Uh, unfortunately, those are those break really easily too. Yeah. Uh, because the texture is super sloppy and lazy. 
Um, the other thing that that sucks uh, that you can get away with sometimes are some of the hard drives will have you know multiple connections on the back of them, but um, they won't always the be like. Into the hard drive and out to that. But is that? Sl- I mean, in the end, is it slow down? That's kind of a drag. Yeah, I think it does. I think the more crap you put on a bus, the slower it's going to be, regardless of whether it's doing anything or not. In fact, we just learned something weird. Uh, one of the weird quirks of the newest version of Capture One is that uh, if you have anything that, that, that draws power, USB yeah. power, uh, while you have the camera connected, um, it will you have a, you, you've instantly like tripled the uh, odds of, of Capture One crashing on you. <laughs> um, really? So even if you, even if you have like just a, a USB thumb drive plugged in and not not even reading or writing any data to it. Um, it just Capture One is really fucking finicky about it. I I, I think See, it's you know more what? of a Mac. That, that I think right it's a there Mac is thing, a though. weird downside too of using something like Capture One, which you know it's not that it's not that Phase One is a small company, but they are a small company. You know what I mean? Like, well, there's probably well, a team mind, of five guys coding yeah. Capture One. You know, here's the thing though. Bear, bear in mind the guys who the the real use, like the original official use for Capture One. Is to plug a, a phase one phase one back, back in, yeah. via yep. firewire in and and rock it and and that in my experience has never been a problem man that that's always been solid fast no no problems um, plugging so a Canon third, camera or a Nikon party. camera in over USB which is a nice convenience uh, yeah. now you know understandably isn't always going to work because that's not at the top of their priority list I'll tell you um, though you know I. I have had no pro- you know Lightroom three has been pretty fucking stable on my end I don't know about your yeah, you, you know, know I, I don't think I, I've ever had Lightroom shoot. crash on me. I don't think I've ever had Photoshop crash on me. Yeah, you have. You told me about it Not once. Not in years. Well, yeah, I think the Adobe knows what they're fucking doing. I mean, um, I, I don't think I've had them crash either, but I have had them, like, take a fucking long time to do shit, though, man. Sometimes, I mean, if your machine isn't up to it, um, some of the, those, those software, both of those apps can really, really be uh You know what demanding. I don't understand is software... And in this, and this is actually true of a lot of older Apple softwares, like where if you let it do its own sort of library system, mm-hmm. it has this really crazy archaic way of organizing things. You know, it's like, did you ever look inside of a, you know, mount An photo library? Yeah, no, exactly. Or <laughs> yeah, Aperture yeah, or, or I iTunes sure before recently. Yeah. And it's like this yeah. huge labyrinth of like multi, yeah, like numbered folders and stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah. How did you? Who came up with this? I this way. Why would you ever do it like this? You know. Well, yeah. I'll I think, t- well, I think I'll it, tell you one thing about like my Lightroom. Right. I keep yeah. all of my images on my hard drive, and Lightroom sort of opens them up as they are. You know, or puts right. them where they are, right. so that if I lose my Lightroom catalog, right. Who it's cares? The the all the metadata is in the files. You know. Right. No, the whole of idea of keeping actual data in the catalog, which I think is what Aperture does. Is yeah, crazy to me. Why would you do What's that? Even, dude, it's so what, you dangerous. Want to hear fucking crazier, dude. Is that Ap- Aperture ties itself into the fucking system, into the OS? It actually yeah. keeps shit in the application support folder. Um, in some cases, which is user specific, which is so counterintuitive to me. I mean, that's one of the things I really love about Capture One uh, and the way we use it is that it's. Compl- I mean, the oh, the computer and the OS are irrelevant. You can yeah. as long as you have your session file, which lives in the folder with all the images. You can open it on any fucking computer and yeah. pick up right where you left off. It's like Pro Tools. And again, for... Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just keeps all of that stuff in a nice nested little uh, little bundle, and, and you're off to the races. I just, I mean, you know, it's it's really, just, I just really think nice. that, like, that way of thinking about organizing things is, yeah. like, that's a, that's a deal breaker for me. That's like, are you kidding yeah. me? 
No, I, you, I agree, I, man. I do not trust my software to keep my files organized on my computer. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you where I want my pictures to be. And especially like on Macs where they have those like where the libraries are like one file. And then yeah. you can like go into it's like no 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 yeah. don't you like hide yeah. it behind some picture icon well, the, and that's all of the, my pictures. Windows does that shit too though, man. I mean, come on, not quite like that. I mean, when you, and, when you, but you know, a Windows I, an application in a Windows just like on a Macintosh, it's just a folder with a bunch of crap in it. Oh yeah yeah yeah, but but that's not the data. You know what I mean? No, it's that's, data though. I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're yes, called but packages. it's not. But it's not your data. It's not your. You, you know what I mean? No, like no, all your true. pictures no, are in one eight hundred meg. No, or 800 like, gig you, file, yeah, you, right? Which can get corrupt. Like that well, just seems like crazy town to me. Well, but the file doesn't get corrupt. The contents of the file does. I mean, it is really just a fucking folder. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I honestly, in, in some ways, I think the reason why they wound up doing it that way was just to simplify it, man. Because people would would do just that. They'd go in, they'd dig, and they'd start to monkey, and then they'd fuck up their their library, and then they'd wind up having to rebuild it, which in yeah. effect makes makes another copy. And next thing you know, you have three copies of your 15 gigs of photos. And, hey, yeah. why is my computer running slow? So, oh, I only have two fucking megabytes left on my drive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, I understand what you're saying. I just, I, yeah. I like the idea that I know where my stuff is. God forbid Lightroom doesn't know where it is. I can no, find I it in, inside of Explorer. You know? I think I can, I can also say with some certainty that, that that is also your Windows user roots shining through. I think that's a very Windows user i think uh, it's i think view. it's a computer literate person view i think you know what i mean <laughs> I, you know no, what i'm yeah, saying no, like you're I, right i totally know what you're saying i'm just saying that like but if you were to I, I can't tell you how many guys like in the old days when you used to argue you know mac versus windows that was yeah. one of the things that they always used to whine about was like you know where are the real files man where where's all the stuff i don't like it i don't like not seeing the stuff man where's this stuff? well you know like if i go teach this woman how to use her mac god forbid oh, I, I hope i hope she's going <laughs> to be you I, glad? <laughs> I hope she's ordered lightroom and not aperture <laughs> okay cuz well, you know you never know if she bought it at an apple store and they they found out that she's a pro photographer i know i'm sure i'm sure they what would have we, sold you know, it to for her. a while there aperture was like 60% to 40% Lightroom on Max, but I think it's like Lightroom has really taken off. It's true. I think it's now like 80-20 or something like that. I don't know what the numbers are. I wonder if there's are, a but, point uh, at which Apple is just like, okay, well, what's the point of us continuing, you know? Well, I mean, Light, sorry, Aperture 3, that is, so far to me, the that was the first potentially usable version of Aperture. I actually processed three or four shoots in Aperture. Yeah. Um, and if I had a, a more suitable workstation, if I had a Mac Pro with a shitload of RAM in it, um, I, you know, I could see it actually being an, you know, a reasonable candidate. Yeah, it seems um, like you really need a monster machine to really pull it off. Yeah, too. You, you really do. That's the downside. It, 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 I mean, uh, on the plus side, it because it's written by Apple. And the other really cool thing about it, man, the other thing that yeah, I wish... Yeah, but where did they get... Did they buy the original... No, engine? I was just about they to... Really that's what I was going to say, scratch? man. The, the Aperture has this very, like, not unique, but very rare distinction... Of being a, a built from scratch native Apple app. I mean, so many apps that have become part of the uh, you know part of the framework, part of the standard, or you know acquisitions and migrations. From, I, I guess yeah. iWeb is another uh, original breed, and I guess iDVD is right. another one. But so, I'm pretty so, sure I, iPhoto so started somewhere three, else. Three iTunes started somewhere else. That have their own really quirky way of doing things. <laughs> Final Cut Pro started somewhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, I mean, and, you know, some just random key components of the of the system. You know, uh, like yeah. you know, core audio, as we know, that used I, to be. Uh, I just know that Aperture 
the times that I've played with it, and I actually installed, I had to do a talk a few months ago, and I needed something that would do full screen on an external monitor or something like that. Oh, no, uh-huh. you know what it was? I wanted mm. to use the remote control. The little white one? Yeah. Uh-huh. For a talk. So, okay. And, uh, and Lightroom doesn't use it. Well, there are oh, ways okay. to make it do it, but it's kind yeah, of... Yeah, you have to ass. do some scripty so, shit. Yeah. So I installed the free trial of Aperture, and I used that for the talk, and like... You could just use iPhoto. Uh, I don't think just, I have iPhoto installed. iPhoto, well, it came with your computer at one point. Yeah, but I have installed Snow Leopard from scratch, and I didn't have iLife, because I never used any ah, of anyway. Fair enough. Um, and in, but, ca- in uh, case you didn't know, uh, in the first stage... The player must fend off meteor showers from all four <laughs> sides of the screen by pushing the joystick to fire in the desired direction. Uh, the second this, stage. What is this game the second stage called? Hang on. It is Cosmic Arc. The second stage requires the player to pilot a shuttle to a planet and use its tractor beam to pick up life forms. While near the planet's surface, planetary defenses will fire at the shuttle. Um, and if hit, one oh, previously captured specimen will be freed, forcing the player to retrieve another. And then after a set period of time, a klaxon, which is a kind of alert, will warn... Awooga! Awooga! <laughs> exactly. A klaxon <laughs> will warn of renewed meteor activity, and the player must return immediately to defend the Ark. Uh, Cosmic Arc does not provide a set number of lives. Instead, the player's arc starts with 40 fuel units, which are lost with each meteor strike or shot fired and gained by destroying a meteor or capturing a life form. Sounds pretty balanced to me. Capturing both life forms from a planet before the warning klaxon uh, will top off fuel reserves. And if the arc runs out of energy, the next hit it takes will end the game. You know, it's funny how a lot of these old games, if you really rip it down to the basic thing, they're all like the same game. Just yeah, like get stuff, don't get killed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty pretty straightforward stuff. Get Not as much stuff as you can and don't get killed. It's like how can we overlay this basic functionality that we have into something that, you know, approximates a story. You know. Yep. I love it, you man. Can I, move I'm this a huge thing fan and touch of the old this thing, yeah. Yeah, uh, old school Man, I mean, that's like, if you think about it, that's like, it's like gaming at its, at its, uh, at its core, man. Yeah. It's good shit. I think, you know, in some ways, I think where the original NES was good was that it had, it was just good enough to where it wasn't stupid looking. <laughs> and yet it wasn't so far where you had seven buttons to worry about. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, think that's having where it's like it hit the, the sweet spot. And the, yeah. Yeah. And the D-pad, you know? that's... That's I, I, although you know what I would I will I could also say that same thing about I think the Super Nintendo SNES okay which had six buttons technically had two, you know X Y A B and the L R shoulder buttons I think that that right there was perfect because that's enough buttons for you to you know you can hold them down at the same time I remember certain games had like interesting multi button combos was Alone in the Dark on Super Nintendo No I want to say Alone in the Dark was probably a PlayStation game. No, no, that no. was one of those weird, like, ugly 3D games, like, really blocky 3D games, I think. Yeah. Wasn't it? I don't remember. Yeah, but I thought I, I never 1992 got into that shit. survival game. 92, it had to have been, like, PlayStation then, yeah. DOS 3DO. Oh, wait, no, wait, wait, no. wait. When did PlayStation come out? 3DO is what you said? Yeah. 
three doo doo as we no, used but to call it, it. Then, then that's not what it was called. There was a really cool game for Super Nintendo. Alone in the Dark? No, that's not what it was then. Isn't, it that, was isn't that a else. kids kids horror game? Like yeah, there was bumps or some okay, shit. There like was that? there was another game for Super Nintendo that I remember friends playing where you were running around, sort of like a not Tomb Raider, like a, a Prince of Persia-ish kind of thing, but it was like in more three D. That's going to drive me nuts. I'll have to look it up. Maniac um, Mansion? No, it was better than that. I don't know. I was I over. You know what? I we, I have like four friends who are like. If they were listening to this, would be like yelling at us right now, like, "No, you idiot! It's blah blah." Well, maybe we can get them to listen and answer this question for me. I'll figure for, it out. Yeah, forever. For real. Um, well, that <laughs> that gets us back around to the beginning, doesn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah, we were talking about workflows, right? Arc. Yeah, but initially arc. we were ta- we ended up talking about arcs. I guess so. Well, yeah, yeah, sort of. All right. Right on. Well, if cool. anyone has um, any questions. Let us yeah, know. questions, comments, come on over to the uh, the blog, which uh, I've been posting on our um, on on my little Twitter feed. We don't really person, we don't really do any kind of personal promotion on this shit, do we? I should Twitter um, it more. Yeah, you should Twitter some of the. I've been doing all the Twittering lately. Yeah, Twitter. But this. um, but yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, Bill and Dan dot blogspot dot com, or if you want to be. F- cool you can go to bitly which is you know b-i-t dot l-y slash b-i-l-l at the letter n and then d-a-n uh that's the short version um and obviously we're on the uh the itunes there as well but come on over to the blog and leave a comment you know or send us an email we'd love to hear from you if you're actually listening i think yeah i think that'd be great well done i didn't know you did a bitly oh yeah what what do you mean You, you follow my twitter dude I've been posting it, like, for the past four I, or five yeah, weeks Yeah, but I, I didn't notice that it was a special one. Oh, I mean, well, I figured, you know, if sure. I'm going to be reposting it over and over again. Sure. Well done. Sweet. All right. All right, man. Talk to you I'll later. See you next week. <laughs>